The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So welcome, everybody. Can everyone hear me okay? Okay, great. So this is the third week of the Introduction to Mindfulness series. And while everyone's just getting settled, can't hear it? Yes? Okay, great. Um, Might spend a few minutes um, if anyone has any questions on their practice. The first two weeks we covered mindfulness of breath and mindfulness of body. So if anyone has any questions... Uh, the handouts for the first and second week are outside on the counter. You can pick up on the way out if you missed the first or second week. Okay, so we'll have time for questions throughout the evening if something does come up. So then I'll just start a little bit of review. So uh, we're teaching mindfulness practice here. And I guess two things that are really important about this practice. One is that uh, we do this so that we can um, take a closer look at our lives and um, how we're living our lives. Uh, Not our imagined life or fantasy life or the life we want or wish we had or are going to have or want to change, but uh, what's actually happening uh, in the here and now. So it allows us to get a little bit closer to, or a little more intimate with, these are all just different words, uh, maybe a little deeper um, experience of what's happening in our lives. Because oftentimes we can feel as if we're living on the surface of our life. And everything's so fast, and uh, uh, there's so so many things we have to get done that we don't have uh, really that much skill in... Um, being very intimate with our experiences. So that's one thing that mindfulness can really help train our minds and hearts and bodies to do, to become more integrated. And the other thing that mindfulness can do is that it can be very um, liberating to view attention or awareness, what we kind of teach here, um, to see it as a very simple way of engaging with our experience. Um, Free from commentary that Chris described a lot of last week, or free from the normal reactivity that we have, at least it offers this possibility to be uh, a little um, experience what's going on in a simpler, easier way, Uh, just like as if we're looking through a very clear window pane. So whatever that happens in our lives, um, uh, we can be fully for and meet in a richer way. Um, And we're a little bit less entangled so that uh, this practice of awareness or attention allows for some little bit of freedom uh, to have a simpler experience with what's going on. So... Hopefully that makes some sense. (laughs) I've been practicing for a couple of weeks, and you might notice the places where uh, something simple may happen in your daily life, and you might notice the type of reactivity that comes along with that, um, or the type of commentary that comes along with it. And for um, the most part, 
it can be quite um, innocent and, and, and not a problem, but it's really the areas where um, it, it can become uh, uh, difficult for us to see through uh, how to meet our experience with a little bit less suffering. So uh, tonight's topic is emotions, and um, this uh, might be an area where people have a lot of strong opinions about either for or against. Some people really come in with this strong attitude or opinion that um, emotions need to be expressed and fully lived and embraced and celebrated, and there might be some people who feel like the exact opposite, who just rather not venture into the territory of emotions or don't know how. So what I love about this practice is that it kind of just views emotions um, um, not any differently than any other experience we have. So any other experience that we have in the body or the breath or with thinking, it's kind of uh, given equal treatment. So all our experience can be viewed through the same lens, kind of a simpler lens. So um, having said that, it's, it's, uh, I know for me it was very difficult um, to, uh, to be less attached to some emotions than others. So some emotions I really loved having and others, maybe 50% of them, I really didn't care for at all. So uh, we also come into this with some level of predisposition or inclinations to uh, not only our views or ideas about emotions, but um, even specific ones. So it may be personal, it may be cultural uh, or societal, uh, so it might be good to also understand that um, uh, that has a little bit of a role in how we uh, deal with our emotions. So this practice, um, we're going to treat emotions and try and work with them. During this guided sit, we'll have a little bit of a practice, um, as we did with uh, breath and with the body. So before we do a sit, now are there any questions? Yes, and can you wait for the mic? So. No, he, he, he fixed it, so that one also works. There was one up here, or right here. So, um, how long do you entertain a thought? As it, so, I'm, I've reached a point where I'm able to, it, it's almost as though I have two hands and I can... Can, I'm barely hearing. Right I can now. I can stay with my breath, and at the same time be thinking something, and be knowing that I'm thinking it. But how long do you entertain that before you say, "Okay, now I'm gonna just I don't want to be thinking that anymore," because it can go on for a long time. Um, so uh, I'll be giving the instructions over again, but we're gonna try and center mm-hmm. on and stabilize with the breath as our object of attention. For most of us, breath is a viable object. We can all feel it. We're doing it all the time. It happens on its own. There's a lot of reasons why it's useful. Um, And it's only when uh, something else becomes much stronger or more compelling and is kind of fighting for the attention that we're going to turn the attention towards that. So we'll do some some through the guided um, meditation. We did practicing with breath and then other things that are happening strongly in the body last week. And this week we'll practice with anything that's kind of happening with our emotions. Uh, 
So you have a little bit of practice uh, with each of the categories that were our topics that we'll teach with. So in case they become the most compelling experience, that we have some, exp- um, I guess, a little bit of practice trying to work with them. Does that make sense? Was there another question? Thanks. Uh, Suppose you're someone that has, you know, almost like an anxiety disorder and you have so much of that going on. Do you just try to let it happen and just not judge it? Um... So while the practice says try not to be judgmental or critical of all the things that are happening, what oftentimes when we take a closer look, we will see judgment and criticism come up. Um, so the instruction is to whenever you notice something that's coming up, whether it's judgment or criticism, see if you can be less judgmental about that. Now, um, I can't say I can give the best advice for um, certain disorders. I would say when it becomes unbearable, like in the beginning I said, if any experience becomes unbearable, this is not an exercise in torture. We would, we would say move if there's a, a really bad pain or severe tightness or contraction around a, a body experience. And just so if it turns into panic or something, then I would say stop using the fear or anxiety as an object of attention and um, come back to the breathing, something that helps calm. Use sound, something that helps broaden the field of awareness. Right? We, can, we only do what we feel we can do in a, to a reasonable extent. Right? And we practice or give ourselves a little bit more training to meet our experiences with some more stability, a little more strength of mind, a little more ease. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so um, there's this um, analogy that's often given. I've heard it so many times, and I'm going to offer it again tonight. Um, So when the Buddha was teaching, he asked a group of his practitioners this question, if a man gets hit by an arrow, is that painful? And the practitioners (laughs) answered, well, yes, that's painful. Um, That's the first arrow. That's what we call life. Life happens. There will be... um, a lot of um, ups and downs in life, loss. Um, um, we might get sick, we might break up, we might lose a job. So all these things might happen. So that's the first arrow. So if a man gets hit by the second arrow, is that painful? And they said, yes, probably even more painful. And the second arrow is what we do on top of that first arrow is the reactivity that we may have to the loss or the um, whatever's happened in our life that can be challenging or difficult. It's our, sometimes our emotional response, sometimes the commentary that goes on. Um, so those are sometimes second, um, third, fourth, fifth arrows. So um, I'll give this analogy because I often, um, I've fallen three times, tripped and sprained the same ankle. So if you trip, um, falling, walking down the strip at, the street and I trip. Um, when I was younger, I used to be uh, 
well, probably still to some degree today, it's a little embarrassing. Falling for a lot of people, it's a little embarrassing. So, uh, so there was the pain of falling, but what was more painful was the shame for me of falling. So the first arrow is just tripping, and the second arrow is that, did, did anybody see me? <laughs> and, the th- and the third arrow is, what's wrong with me? I can't even walk in these shoes. And the fourth arrow is, these stupid shoes. <laughs> and I've fallen three times in these shoes. And the fifth arrow is, I've been you know, studying meditation practice for a number of years, and I'm still having these reactions, the fifth arrow. So we can have a number of reactivities to whatever we see going on in our mind, and um, to something like simple as tripping. So um, what this practice helps us do is, uh, in a non-judgmental kind of uh, easy way, whenever we catch the tenth arrow, or the hundredth arrow, we have this opportunity to wake up. We have this opportunity to stop that process. So uh, we're not saying go back to that first arrow. It's kind of impossible. You catch yourselves wherever you are in this practice, wherever the mindfulness um, becomes really clear. So um, hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. So having said that, we will kind of get ready for our guided meditation. So we take a comfortable seat. Again, we've gone through posture a few times here. Hopefully you guys have all found a comfortable seat that works for you, that's stable, um, supported, um, but alert. So gently close our eyes. And just check in to see what our emotional state is. There's always some kind of emotional state or mood present. seeing if that state or mood might influence how we experience this period of meditation. If we're grumpy, will we tend to be a little irritable or aversive? If we're tired or discouraged, is there an air of hopeless or helplessness. If we're happy, how does that impact this period of meditation? Letting that go, and then just arriving in the body, taking a big breath, expanding the ribcage, the back, and 
Seeing if there's any big tension there, seeing if you can release it on the exhale. And now doing a little body scan, starting from the top of the head. Seeing if there's any tightness or holding in any of the facial muscles around the eyes, forehead, cheek or jaw. Seeing if we can relax any tension that's easy to let go of. Checking in with the neck and shoulders, seeing if we can breathe in and exhale any tension. Seeing if there's any tightness in the chest or belly. Seeing if we can relax that. And then as the breathing returns to its natural rhythm, whatever that may be, seeing if you can hang in there and be with each breath in a very simple way, the sensations of breathing in and out. seeing if the attention lands in one particular spot where the breathing is particularly easy to follow. Letting the attention settle there. Away, see if you can stay with each breath as the body expands and contracts. And if the mind wanders away, just gently guiding the attention back to the body as it's breathing in and out.
If the mind is very busy, just seeing if you can let the thoughts just be there in the background. Let them come and go. And let the breath be in the foreground. The experience of breathing in and out. If the mind has gone off of the breath, you might be aware of what has it moved on to. If it's not that compelling, just bring the attention back to the body as it breathes in and out. If there's some reactivity going on, just taking a look at where that is in the body. Seeing if you can hang out there with the reactivity, no need to push it away. Is there a certain texture, tone, or feeling in the body?
And as the attention fades from that experience, then coming back to the breath in this simple way. So now letting go of the breath and just checking in again, what is the emotional tone, mood? you can find one, seeing it how it influences your experience. If you're very calm and content, agitated, anxious. seeing into the body what happens in the body when you notice the mood or an emotional state
Now gently letting that go and seeing if we can return to the breath. Really simple, easy attention on the body as it breathes in and out. Seeing if we can hang in there. Me with our breath. So, um, just to repeat myself, we give the instruction to kind of use the breath at the center. It helps stabilize the mind, offer some steadiness, so that once the mind and body are a little more unified, we can then explore other areas that are calling for some attention. If nothing big comes up and the attention uh, or the breathing can stay in the foreground, And the mind may be chattering a little bit and sounds may come and go, but that's kind of easy to stay in the background. Then we say just practice getting closer and closer with the breath. If something else really comes up strong, and so we give some instruction last week with body practices to become um, more familiar with sensations in the body, and this week with... uh, with mood or emotions to see if something strong is coming up. We might see how it influences our experience. If we're coming in grumpy, um, then anything I say might be really annoying. <laughs> if, I, if we come in really kind of tired or discouraged, then it might be harder to get, um, I don't know, energized or uh, we might come in with some air of hopelessness. If we come in very excited or agitated, then we might be a little impatient for the next thing to happen. So it's just kind of an exploration of look, taking a closer look at the things that might be present and influencing our experience. So we have some practice with working with emotions. Um, so those are the general instructions. It sounds um, 
relatively simple, or I hope it sounds relatively simple. Um, and it's still not very easy because we're used to living in our conceptual world, in a world of commentary most of the time. And we're just giving ourselves a little practice to kind of set that aside and meet our experience with, in a simpler way, this kind of bare attention with a little less commentary, a little less reactivity, and, and see um, the nature of experience from a different perspective. So I know Gil gives a story when he went to practice in Burma. Gil is the main teacher here. And a lot of our teachers, um, they had to go to Asia to learn these practices and get the teachings because there weren't Western teachers back then. And he said he just received a half-hour audio cassette tape and they plugged it in and they listened to that and they're like, okay, that's the full instructions, and he was off to meditate for eight months in his little room. So here we give a lot more examples and explanations, and hopefully we don't make it more complicated for you. We try and describe more of the things that may come up, because there are so many people with different experiences, and hopefully give you some examples on how to meet them with a little more skill. So um, into the realm of emotions, Chris is going to describe a little bit more in detail how to uh, work with emotions. And if there's any questions at this point, happy to take them. So are there any questions? How was that uh, last meditation for you? Yes. when I try to meditate at night I just I can't stay awake and it doesn't matter if I slept 10 hours or 4 um, so then I, I'm like oh I must be doing life like half sleeping you know like because you learn a lot about that right so mm-hmm. how do I get around that so night is definitely the best time for you to meditate in the evening because of that I was asking you, you said you meditate at night? Well, when I try to, like, um, uh-huh. like I try to carve out uh, 15 minutes in the morning. Okay. And, and I notice I don't fall asleep. Oh, but okay. at night, I definitely always okay. fall asleep. Okay, so you do have an experience of both times. Yes. I was just, yeah. Well, um, you know, we have long days and we're sleepy, so there's a way to just be with sleepiness as an experience. This might seem kind of abstract, but if you can not struggle with the experience of sleepiness, but see if you can just stay minimally aware of it, so that you're just, you might use the noting and just say, sleepy, sleepy. And don't, don't put any more energy into fighting it or trying to stay awake or all that, but just put your energy into staying in contact with it. Give yourself permission to relax and just 
see if you can let your awareness alone be the thing that's still awake. You know, and just being sleepy, sleepy. You know, and, and sometimes that little permission to just kind of really relax is somehow a little bit refreshing so that you're not spending even more energy fighting with it and thinking, I should, how come I'm sleepy? I shouldn't be sleepy and nodding and all that. So just let yourself really kind of go into it and maybe you'll come out of it. Does that, you might just try that. Okay, great, thank you. Do you have anything to add, Shinkwan? No. Okay. Any other questions? Anything you'd like to share about the recent meditation? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, with with respect to um, trying to uh, get out of an emotion or be open to an emotion that will come up, um, I don't know really what that is. But what ends up happening, what I experienced right now was. Um, I would describe it as um, a certain, uh, I have some things going on that I would describe as economic insecurity. Mm-hmm. And so I will feel that, and what I will do is go into problem solving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I will start to list the things I need to do tomorrow to address the situation and to move things forward. Right. Of course, then I can bring it back. Yeah. Uh, and then and you would say, you know, bring it back to the breath. That was fine. I'm able to do that. Then go looking for the emotion again, and I am right away again, you know, before I know it, deep, you know, three, four levels down yeah. into, you know, I want to bring out my day timer and yeah. <laughs> make a note to call this guy about that. You know? Right. So, I mean, it's, right. I don't think there's any ex- anything to say about it other than bring it back to the breath, yeah. label it, let it go. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, that's that's a very good description of what working with a, a, an emotion that's really pulling at you is like. And uh, it's a lot of, you know, I'm going to talk for the next few minutes in more detail as kind of an answer, what answer there is to your question. But um, that that's, uh, that's how it is when the mind is pulled away by some strong feeling. So, thank you. So, do you have a question out there? It's also for the recording, so people who listen to the tape can hear what the response is. So uh, my question is in um, diametrically opposed to um, the first young woman's question about falling asleep. What about if you are a person who doesn't sleep well? Can you use meditation, or should you use meditation as a method of sleeping or being at peace? when it's time to sleep? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, I've actually found it very helpful to um, meditate while I'm lying down trying to go to sleep in a certain way. I mean, I'm not putting the emphasis on the awake aspect of it. I'm putting the emphasis on the not struggling aspect of it and just noticing what's going on. You know, with full permission to space out and fall asleep, should that happen? <laughs> but just just being aware, because again, you can—it's the struggling, it's the thinking. How come I can't sleep? Here I am having insomnia. I'm going to have to get up in six, five, four, three, two, one hours, and I can't sleep. 
And so you can notice that commentary going on and you can be with your breath. And simply being with your breath is very soothing and if you're already lying down, it may well help you go to sleep. So um, I, I do that a lot when I lie down to sleep. Just noticing when I'm going off into worrying about things and coming back to the breath. You know, and it's it is restful, so you can get some you can get some rest there, even if maybe you don't fall asleep. It's a it's a soothing use of time. You're welcome. Any other questions, comments? Okay, well I just want to say a little bit more about working with emotions, especially in terms of these uh these four aspects of emotions that are that uh it's helpful to think of. Um, those four aspects are recognizing, naming, accepting, and what's called investigating, which is an interesting term that I want to talk about. So um, let's talk about recognizing. There's often a question, somebody will say, well, I never have any emotions when I sit. You know, so what do I do? So for some people, I think it's important to realize that this practice is not only about when you're on the cushion, but that's, that's the part where we practice, and then we go out into life and we perform how our practice is doing, and we continue to practice. So in terms of recognizing emotions, I want to say a little bit about recognizing them in daily life and also recognizing them when you're in the practice. And then there's this interesting area, which is emotions, mind states, moods, attitudes around toward your practice. So maybe you don't have any on the cushion, but then you don't sit a lot of times because, oh, I don't know, you know. And that right there is a moment to look at what, what feeling is going on. You know, maybe you're having a strong strong emotion and that's why you don't want to sit at the time or that's why that's what's keeping you off the cushion so um, really this moment of recognizing is really important because that's where we wake up and we realize oh this is a practice opportunity right now this is one of those times that is why I decided to take up a meditation practice probably for most of you because you know there's some difficulty in your life you, you want to to look at more closely. So, recognizing that it's a practice opportunity. And sometimes, in, typically in daily life, if we haven't practiced with this much, we might wake up totally carried away, you know, in the middle of yelling at somebody or in the after effects of having spoken as harshly on the telephone or, you know, sobbing about something or going out to buy or eat or watch your tenth thing in a row, you know, suddenly you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that can be wherever you are. You might be 97 arrows, as she says, into it. One of the reasons we want to tell that story is because we use that term a lot, like, you know, you're on your 37th arrow. So even if that's where you wake up, then there you are. And so in that moment, you're recognizing that you're in... uh, you're in a state that's worth pausing for. There's a bumper sticker, I break for suffering, that I've seen on some Buddhist cars. So, so we're developing the habit of breaking for um, emotional upheaval. And sometimes it's not obvious that an emotional reaction is happening. Some people tend not to be very in tune with their emotions, and they might be so deeply inclined to blaming what's going on or to just an overall feeling of kind of numbness or dissatisfaction or dullness. You know, you might not think of it as an emotion, 
But next time you find yourself in some way aware that you're dissatisfied with what's going on, you know, or, or, or frustrated or zoned out or whatever your, your way of, of recognizing that you're just not feeling quite right with the world, that could be a cue to, pra- to do some of these practices to see what's going on a little bit. Um, so really what we're doing in that moment, it's a moment, the recognition step is a moment of turning, where we're turning away from either just acting it out or from denying it and repressing it. We're turning to recognize that we're, learning, we're here to learn a new way to work with this kind of situation. And so what we do then is this really radical shift that's at the heart of this whole practice, which is that we begin to look at our own reactivity, and that involves quite a big step, which we need to keep learning, of pulling our attention out of the details of the situation and out of the what's happening and who said what and what am I going to do about it into what does it really feel like right now, what's happening. Something is happening and you turn your attention inward and you look at the effect that everything you've been doing and trying to do is having on your mind and body in that moment. So recognizing... And sometimes, and of course these steps aren't linear and they might happen in a different order and they might not happen, but it's a, it's a way of going about explaining this. So the next step could be that a, a word will come to you to na- a name of what is this. You know, do you rec- and when you, in recognizing this state, can you put a name on it? Anger, sadness, frustration, anxiety, disappointment. Um, wanting something, all excited, saw a new ad for the some computer thing. Gotta go get it. Ha ha ha! You know, that could be. That's kind of an emotional state. So you can somehow name what's going on. And naming is very powerful. Just like in the fairy tales, where you name. There's many fairy tales where you you find somebody's name. You have some power over them. You name the demon. And what that really does is it 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 helps. To make, to make it a part of your experience instead of the entirety of your experience that you're simply drowning in. So if you can name it, then there's at least a part of your mind, your awareness, that is not caught up in it because it's able to stand outside of it and say, I know what you are, right? And so you're bigger than it. So a lot of the experience that we're learning to cultivate is being a sense of feeling larger than a particular thing that's happening. Okay, so when you name it, you, it is now a piece of your experience, not simply the way everything is right now. And in meditation, or if you can take a few moments during the day at any time, it can be helpful to keep naming it in the way of the noting practice that we talked about last week a little bit, where you might just repeat that this is what's happening, as long as it's really still what's happening. So you don't want to get into just saying it blindly, like, oh, anger, 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 to sort of push it away, but to really feel, to keep pointing your attention back, to stay gently in connection with it. And also, let that name resonate a little bit. Does it still resonate? Am I just saying anger, and really it's moved on to something else? You know, so you, you can say the word, and you can feel, is this... Is this true? There's a little bit of an inquiry in that in that anger. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's what's going on. Or no, it's just something else. Um, I've I've used this many times. In early in my meditation uh, 
career, I went to a retreat, and there was a terrible rain. It was in a in a place. It was a redwood forest, and it was rain, rain, rain for the entire week. And in the middle of the night, a tree fell in the forest. A big crash, you know. And here we were, right in the middle. It could have hit the building, but it didn't. And I I woke up with my heart pounding and. I was amazed that the first thing that came to my mind was to notice, to note it. Oh, fear, fear. Because I hadn't really felt, fe- I feel a lot of anxiety, but I'm not that often in fear situations. So here I was, fear, wow, fear, wow, fear, fear. And it really helped me because, you know, there was nothing else to do. So it helped me from spinning out in stories about what I, you know, imagining the worst that could happen and going over and over how it could hit the roof. I was just, you know, I was able to say fear and stay with it and stay with the breath and and uh, I fell asleep. So it helped me get back to sleep. <laughs> so uh, the, there's just one example of uh, naming. Um, so then um, the next step after naming is acceptance. And this is really recognizing you don't just go to acceptance, but you need to be honestly recognizing what is your current attitude or your reaction or your relationship to what's happening with this emotion. So a little bit of a way of how many arrows in are you, you know. So sometimes also just a way in which this accepting and naming kind of relate to each other, sometimes we don't know what's going on. We just feel crummy or we feel agitated and, and it's... You can... I, I sometimes would think, oh, I'm supposed to come up with a name for it, you know, and I would try, is it this, is it that, is it that? And that would keep me in my head, kind of going through the dictionary, you know, and not really feeling how it felt to me. So if you don't, if it isn't really obvious what it is, then don't worry about the name. You can just say feeling something. It's something. Feel something is going on. It may be a big storm of confusion that's just too upsetting and chaotic to put one word on. Or it might just be a vague sense of dis-ease and dissatisfaction, you know, that, you, that, you want, that you've recognized and you want to take some time to work with. So um, it's fine to just say, okay, something, some kind of feeling is going on. And then the, the next part of acceptance is to see if you can find the proper kind of observing relationship to it. Okay? So there's this felt sense that something's going on. Maybe you know a word for it like anger or anxiety. Maybe you don't. And what we want to do is find a way to stay in contact with it in a gentle way that isn't going in there trying to fix it and trying to take it apart and isn't running away from it, but it's just, you could say, right on the edge of it. And so, if for some things, you might feel that it's best, it is most helpful to feel really close to it, like you're holding, maybe if you're sad or, you know, you're feeling a tender sort of feeling, it can be helpful to, to hold it as if it's a precious thing that you're just sort of holding gently in your hands, just being with it in an empathetic, with your compassionate with yourself sort of way. Sometimes... You might, when it's a more agitated energy, sometimes I have the image of I'm holding an upset child on my lap, you know, and you're giving it some space to move around, but you're kind of patting it, you know, and you're staying with it, you're not ignoring it, you just, it's fussy, it's agitated, you're just, you're staying with it. 
Sometimes it's something so overwhelming, you know, I've just realized some, some really, some really, maybe perhaps a really tragic thing has happened, or perhaps you're really just hopelessly anxious and upset about some, you know, you just lost your job and you, whatever. So you can, sometimes I, I look at it like, okay, there's this, there's the whole mass of feeling about this. There's that, there's the situation, <laughs> right, and how I feel about it. And, and what I'm trying to do mostly then is get some space around it and get some distance from it and get some, some objectivity around this is what's happening. So my image then sometimes is just that, okay, it's like the situation and I'm not losing contact with it. I'm not leaving it. I'm touching it more like a giant beach ball in front of me or something like, okay, this, there's the situation. And a lot of my attention is on how, okay, now that I've recognized it, I have a little space around it. So maybe I'm looking at it from quite a distance. Maybe I have to get quite a mental distance to say, okay, you know, or maybe I've thought about something that's going to happen. Okay, there it is, you know, and here I am. How can I, you get the idea. So there's different ways of experimenting with how to stay in touch with it and not denying it, but not being overwhelmed with it. And so you can play with that different ways of accepting it. Um, so, so much of what we usually do are some examples that aren't really quite mindful acceptance of it. And we usually wake up somewhere in there. So, um, mostly in terms of getting lost in thought about it and re-triggering, getting, going back into the situation that triggered the emotion and going over and over again and, in fact, just re-triggering the emotion you know, of who said what and what, oh, well, that's going to happen. Oh, I'm going to do terrible. They're not going to like me. He's going to say that, blah, blah, blah. And just going over and over that again. So, you know, you'll catch yourself with, actually with, okay, it's, I'm present, I'm here, there's this emotion going on, and then you'll go right back into the thoughts, just as you beautifully described about, you know, solving the problem, fixing the problem. Um, Also, arguing with the emotion, like, this should not happen. This should, you know, let me talk myself out of this. I'm anxious, and there are 47 reasons why that's irrational, and I'm going to go over them all, you know, and you don't really even quite feel how you're actually feeling right now. Um, Then there's distracting, you know, going off to eat something else or finding another movie. And sometimes that's skillful. I'm not saying we never do that. You know, some things are overwhelming and you just have to get your mind off it somehow. So that not to say we don't all do that and it may be a necessary way to let off steam, you know. But if you have the energy around actually working with it, you can notice that part of your mind that would rather run for the refrigerator. And maybe this is the time that you can, you know, work with it some other way. Um, And then there's the way of reacting to it that is also very common and, and most unhelpful, which is generalizing it to a bigger fact about you, your personality, the way the world works, how things will always be, what will never happen. So if you find yourself slipping into I from from anger is happening to I am an angry person okay sadness is happening I'm a sad person 
You know, disappointment is happening. The world just doesn't work. I never get what I want. I never will get what I want. You know, a kind of resignation about reality just is, reality is terrible. And so notice that tendency to generalize in, t- in terms of time, in terms of you, a, a permanent feature of yourself. So um, this is, these are typical ways that the mind tries to escape simply. As Xin Kuang kept saying, simply being with what's happening and being with it as a, an event in the present that's going to move through the more you're able to just be with it. So meditation is a really safe place to really experience a lot of emotions. We spend so much time at work, you know, or with the kids or something, afraid, thinking now's not the time, I can't really let myself feel this right now. And a lot of stuff builds up. So it's a great gift if you can give yourself some time every day to kind of, you know, well, okay, really, how is it? You know, and let it, let it be felt. Um, it's actually safe to experience very strong emotions. You know, really, really, especially around anger, you know, murderous rage, you can allow yourself to experience while you're sitting on the cushion. Because... You, the part of your mind knows that you're not going to do anything about it. You're sitting there. So you're, as long as you're mindful, you're not about to go and act on it. You're going to sit there and you can quit denying that you really do feel hatred and you really do feel rage about, the, about whatever it is. You know? Because it's simply true, you do feel it. You know? if, if you feel it, you feel it. And so denying that you feel it is just kind of compacting it, like making tighter and tighter knots of it. So allowing it to really be felt while remaining conscious that you're present and sitting and that you're, it's not the same thing as permission to go out and you know, act on it, but it's fully letting it be felt. So we have recognizing it, naming it, and uh, accepting it. And then, you know, these all kind of shade together, but it's a way to teach about it. Uh, the fourth thing is called investigating. And that is a very misleading word. It's often used to translate something, but it's so suggestive of our Western analytical let me think about this habit. And it, it does not mean let me think about this. It, it's like suppose you're at the beach and it's kind of a dramatic weather day and there's purple and red clouds and flashes of lightning and you know, birds and big waves, and you are paying attention to it. You you wouldn't say exactly that you're investigating it. You know, there's nothing to figure out, but yet you don't want to miss anything. It's like, wow, you know, wow, look at that, wow. And it's moving and changing, and you're staying with it, and you're staying open to it, and you're interested in it, and you're letting it unfold, and you're letting it do its thing, and you're observing it, and you're staying right with it, Okay, so that's more like what, when we talk about investigation in a meditation practice, it's more like being really into observing animal behavior or watching the weather or something like that. So, um, on the other hand, there is one aspect that can be kind of analytical in the, in the beginning, which is to really get a hold on the difference between the mind and the body. What's a mental component of this experience and what's a bodily component of this experience? And usually when you're, if you have a 
big emotional situation or just a chronic minor emotional situation, you're so caught up, those two are so tightly bound in a kind of vicious cycle that it can be quite interesting to tease them apart and to notice, you know. So it might be even, sometimes it's even something in your body, you know, your shoes could be too tight and that could be so irritating you all day that you've been lashing out at everybody and you're really angry and you're, by the end of the day you're convinced that you have to leave your job, you know, and you just haven't noticed that your shoes have been too tight all day. So it could be something that starts in the body. That's a, a silly example of something starting in the body. You know, often things might start in the mind. You might be thinking, you, you have deep-seated beliefs like, I should be perfect, right? And you have this presentation to do in a few days, and what do you know? It isn't seeming perfect, you know, as you work on it. And the anxiety is building and building and building. And, and your body is, meanwhile, getting very tense around this. But we put all of our energy into trying to fix the problem Force yourself to work on the paper some more. Force yourself to do what you have to do. Ignore the body. Tighter and tighter. Finally, you're not even breathing very well. You know. Then there's bodily panic going on because really you're short of oxygen, but you're forcing yourself to work on this more. So teasing these things apart is really an important part of the practice. What's going on in your mind and what's going on in your body? And the more you can stick with the what's going on in the body part, that's kind of the leverage point for breaking this vicious cycle. Because if you stick what's going on in the mind, you're going to believe it, believe it, believe it, and it's going to keep the body more wound up. But if you can stay, move your attention to what's going on in the body, then it has a chance to, oh, the body can kind of relax because it's not continually being re-agitated by what's going on in the mind. Then the body can relax. Then as the body starts to relax things can look a lot less scary. Oh, I have some energy. Oh, an idea came to me for the project that I'm working on. So it it makes a little opening, and then the situation can actually shift a little bit, and then the mind can gradually relax. So the cycle can begin to work a little bit in the opposite way, if you can favor sticking with what's going on in the body. I remember one of my another early meditation experiences. I I was... uh, my boyfriend broke up with me suddenly, traumatically. And uh, I was very upset and I was crying and stuff. But I had just started this practice. And so I would come into my body and I would feel a hot face and I'd feel the tears going down my face and I'd feel the clenching. And then, and then I would notice a thought, one of these if-only thoughts. Oh, if only, oh, if only. And it would be so much worse and I'd sob, sob, sob. And finally I'd notice, oh, every if-only thought is making it worse. And given that this is not, the situation is not going to change, it's just banging my head against the wall to keep thinking these if-only thoughts. And if I can be with the body, with the tears, with the feeling of the heat and the shaking and the, you know, wanting to curl up and all these feelings, then just staying with those feelings, it was less suffering. You know, it took a long time to continue to choose the less suffering path, but eventually it worked itself out and wound itself down. So, um, so spending some time unwrapping what's in the mind and what's in the body and giving some preference to staying as much as you can with what's in the body. And then as you hang out with it, you keep checking back on the other aspects. Are you still in touch with what's happening? 
or have you drifted into some generalization like I'm a loser, you know, I, nothing ever goes right for me? Have you drifted into believing those thoughts? Um, sometimes I, I, I always find that I start out accepting it and then it seems to be you know, a little easier and then I somehow get caught up in using all the practice trip tips and tricks to try to make it go away. And, I, and it isn't totally going away. It's still here. It's supposed to go away. And then I get more and more averse to how come it isn't going away. And I'm trying more and more, pr- okay, I'll breathe this way. I'll breathe that way. I'll try mindfulness of the body. Oh, I'll try sitting in a different position. Oh, I'll try following my breath here or here. And I've totally lost track of the fact that I'm lost in aversion to some feeling that, I, that I've lost track of. So you can check if that's happening, and sometimes you just say, oh, right, yes, it's still here, and that's still what's happening, and can I come back to a state more like acceptance of what's happening? And you can check sometimes if the name that you're giving it is still true and still resonating. You know, I remember one time I came out of a meeting, am I going on too long here? I came out of a meeting and uh, I was feeling really angry with myself and, and so I was angry, angry, angry. And then I was noticing, oh, well, okay, you know, I'm just saying angry. What is it really? Let me just feel it. So I would sit there and stay with it. Oh, frustration, that's a little more accurate. And when a little more accurate word comes along, sometimes there's a little more of a relaxing. But you're not finding that word by looking for it. You're letting it arise to you, you know. So you're listening it, it's, it's really, it's, a, it's very helpful to consider that your body has its own intelligence that's not the kind that you're used to using where you get in there with a pickaxe and take things apart and, you know, force conclusions on it. But you're listening and maybe another word will arise. And so then I continued to work with it. And then I real, then I, a memory came to me. I realized, oh, I had meant to tell a couple of funny stories that the person I was meeting with would have appreciated and I forgot. And then I realized, oh, actually, I'm disappointed because I was looking forward to entertaining, you know, being entertaining, and I didn't perform as well as I wanted to. Actually, the meeting was all right. It just wasn't as great as I was expecting it to be. And so, uh, oh, disappointment. Okay, well, that's a different thing. And so it was a little bit, it just kept shifting and developing, you know, what was going on. And finally it got to where, okay, you know, I've, 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 I felt like the whole situation was thoroughly seen and thoroughly felt. And at that point, often things just let go. You know, they've been seen. You aren't hiding anything from yourself anymore. You aren't not taking the time to really admit how you feel. It's, been, it's done, and you can move on. Um, yeah, so really what we're trying to do is let change happen, you know, let emotion, the word emotion means to move out, emotion, move out, it wants to move out, so the more that we don't play the game of solidifying around it, asking the question, what does this mean about me and my personality and the world, as if we're trying to make hard and fast beliefs out of it, but instead we're trying to minimize its long-range applicability and realize, oh, it's just a temporary thing that's happening. Let me just let it flow through. Let me just see this little situation happened. These are the aspects of it. This is how it affected me. I've felt it. I've understood it. Let it go through. You know, not making more of it than it is. And really when you can let it 
wash through you, it's really quite amazing sometimes to feel, maybe for the first time, what a really, a really refreshed and honest and less afraid state can turn up. You know, because you've, you've seen something and it, it hasn't hurt you. <laughs> I mean, it hasn't killed you. It hurt you all along the way, but it hasn't killed you. Here you are, you've saw it. And, and so now you feel really safe around that kind of emotion in the future. That kind of thing can happen and not kill me. You know, and so, and you can feel really refreshed. I had, I had this funniest case where I, I, I can't remember what it was now, so it doesn't make a very good story, but I bought some dumb Christmas present for my brother. And at some point, I, he wasn't there, but I suddenly realized, oh, that was so dumb, like food he was allergic to or something, I don't know. And, and this, this just wave of shame, all out of proportion. And at the time it was funny because I knew it was all out of proportion. And, but my face just got beet red and I, and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is amazing. But I was pretty present at the time. And so I really just, I think I was so present that I just let the thing, it just like whoosh. You know, so it wasn't one of the things that I kind of niggled away at for three or four days thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm so stupid. But instead I just let it, you know, and it went up and my face was bright red for about 10 seconds and then it was gone. And then it was just funny. And I, you know, I've never felt such a free, like, oh, I did something stupid and it was fine. (laughs) And it was really a relief, you know. So you never know really what it feels like to just thoroughly feel something and let it go through you. Um, and then there, there are really beautiful, what you could call mind states or states of the heart and states of the mind that arise through your meditation practice or the more you're able to just be with stuff in your life, you know. And not every feeling is a problem or anything that you need to investigate, you know. So you can feel great states of love and happiness. And, and uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's so unusual. We think, "Wow, what is this? I better look on my to-do list and find something to worry about." You know, but then you can, hopefully, you can laugh at that and enjoy feeling, feeling some openness. So I've talked a lot about working with emotions. Basically, I think it for me it applies more to daily life. You know, and sometimes something is up for me while I'm sitting, or sometimes something comes up while I'm sitting. More often something comes up in daily life and I, I sit with it later or I try to stop right then and, you know, go to the bathroom and sit there for a few minutes and see what, you know, let it, try to let it be felt so it doesn't get too, too uh, pushed down during the day. Um, so really these, uh, anyway, emotions that do come up, they're in no way a distraction from our practice or a problem with our practice or a reason why we can't practice. They're much more at the heart of why we do practice and what, what the kinds of things that practice can really transform. So that's what I have to say about emotions. Are there any questions? Or There's a question. For myself, uh, the strongest emotions I generally feel aren't usually directed at me. Mm-hmm. They're usually directed at the people that are around me or mm-hmm. most importantly closest to me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I would like your insight with is, on the one hand, you're teaching acceptance mm-hmm. and uh, 
sometimes that can be interpreted as almost resignation. Mm -hmm. that's, when that's a good the, question. The people around you, maybe they fall short. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And whether you're a husband or a father or a coworker or whatever, mm -hmm. there's a part of me that wants to scream, mm -hmm. hey, man, you can do better than that. Mm -hmm. You can be better than that. Mm -hmm. But how do I reconcile that with the fact that, you know, more often than not, people disappoint you. You know, they come up short. They come up small. Mm -hmm. And... Do you accept them for who they are? Do you try to make them better? Or do you accept that that's the way the world is? Yeah, so this is a good question. This question of, of watching of an emotion coming up that is focused on how things should be different than they are, right? And how... So we have a thought that things should be and indeed could be different than they are, right? And we're believing that and we're investing a lot of energy into it. And so there is an interesting difference between continuing to go to that belief. You know, I'm not saying whether it's true or not. You know, in some situations, you know, something can be done. In some situations, something can't be done. But the more that you dwell in the, the existence of the discrepancy between how you would like things to be and how they are, the more the tighter and the more suffering you are causing yourself you know it feels uncomfortable to feel that way right and you have this belief that if i feel that way if i don't feel that way i'm not doing my best effort to fix the world because i'm just going to be resigned right but then that often turns out into action that doesn't turn out to be that skillful you know, because other people are not seeing it the same way you're seeing it, and they're feeling your actions in a different way than maybe you intended them. And so some of this practice, a lot of this practice is to give some space around this inevitable difference of opinion between how we think things should be and how other people apparently think things should be, you know, based on their actions. And so the more you can just turn it back and notice what's going on right now is frustration, you know, and feeling that I'm right and that I have to do something. And all those feelings that you can notice in yourself, where's the tension with that feeling? And try to bring yourself to breathe and relax around that feeling. Not necessarily also telling yourself, therefore nothing will change, nothing will get done, and nothing will get better. That's another belief that you're adding on there that's turning it into resignation, not acceptance. So resignation and acceptance are not really the same thing. Resignation is stuffing it really deep and taking on the belief that the world is hopeless. And acceptance is, okay, the whole conditions of the universe in all these people's existence and everything has brought this situation to bear that I disagree with and don't like. But why should I, you know, how can I not torture myself over it anymore? How can I come to a state of peacefulness and out of that some wisdom may arise as to whether or not there's a wise thing to do what is what could how could you be heard if it's necessary to speak to people you know or if it's a small thing that you could let go then maybe that would that would occur to you you know so it's giving space to allow yourself to suffer less and in that space of 
suffering less, have a wise response to the situation. There's the optimist side of me that that realizes that obviously we all need each other, whether we recognize it or not. And I'm not looking for anyone to have the exact perfect words at the exact perfect time. But the one thing I'm trying to find or proof of is uh, at least people try. Well, and, and, and that's the thing that uh, yeah. Yeah. would make me really smile is if I don't care if, if, you, if a person you know, can't understand another person's suffering, but if they can at least listen yeah. And try to be, you know. Well, you know, one of the key insights that we work with in this practice is that we have a lot of skills and techniques to teach for looking at our own attitudes and our own suffering. And we don't have much to add over all the advice you can get elsewhere about how to change the world and how to make people do what you want and be the way they, that you want them to be. So it is hard. I mean, you know, we're just not going to start from telling you how to get other people to do what you want them to do. I'm not saying that you're right or they're wrong. It's lifting the whole situation above the who's right and who's wrong and how should it be and all those generalizations and just coming back to am I suffering because of the situation and how can I reduce my suffering in this situation and then there's kind of a leap of faith that if you're suffering less and if you're more calm and at ease with the situation with what other people are doing that then the input that you will put into that situation will be more helpful and move things along in the direction that it needs to go in whatever that might be so that's about all I had to say on that thanks Actually, in that regard, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I had a similar experience. Uh, I sort of didn't know what meditation was doing until then, <laughs> but uh, I guess because a, a bit closer. So I was uh, at the grocery store, and I'm very picky with the way I choose my produce. And, mm-hmm. and so at some point, I left my cart and attended, and someone decided to shop from my cart. <laughs> so uh, my first reaction when I noticed items missing was, well, which was very reactive. Actually, I said, if I go to the cashier, I'm sure I see this person in line, and I can show them in public what, <laughs> what uh-huh. the behavior is. But, but then immediately I turn it, instead of an emotion towards others, kind of in terms of what, I'm, what am I feeling about mm-hmm. the whole thing. And, and so I realized I was very angry, but, but then sort of also the, the emotion changed a little bit, and I realized that at the end I was feeling sort of hurt mm-hmm. by, by the whole situation. And, and all of a sudden, when I turn it towards me, I sort of I was kind of thrilled to actually sort of understand what was going on. And I, I sort of didn't feel the need to go uh-huh. show this person how to behave in public. Uh-huh. And, uh, but interestingly, at night, I was reading a bedtime story to my, my toddler. And all of a sudden, the cart and the missing lettuce and <laughs> celery came up as a flash out of nowhere. But, uh, but I sort of recognized as a second arrow. And I and I stopped right there. Uh-huh. Didn't, didn't, keep, didn't keep going and going. So, great, great, but, uh, great. And, and until then, sort of, I never realized sort of how uh, meditation was affecting my daily life, so to Beautiful. speak. But, uh, yeah. but sort of, that, that was an example on 
without realizing it's right turn the, the motion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the opposite way. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Can you pass you to I just wanted to uh, say I had read an article just recently by Richard Miller. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a psychologist. He does a lot with yoga nidra. Mm -hmm. um, and in his article, he mentioned that our dissatisfaction and suffering come a lot from our attachment to our desired results mm -hmm. of something that we think should happen, that we want desperately to happen. And when that doesn't happen, we suffer from that. And, um, but when we can learn to turn loose of that attachment, the attachment to our desired results, and to let it be, let life be as it is and accept that reality, then somehow it eases our suffering somewhat. Right. So right. I just kind of wanted to add that because I know disappointment does, in fact, play a big part in what you were saying. Mm -hmm. It's very disappointing when people don't do or act the way we think. Right. But when we can just accept and let it go and let them accept, have their own karma for whatever their choices are, right. somehow... Yeah, there's, that's beautiful. I mean, that goes to the heart of the, really the Buddhist understanding of suffering, and that's, that's true. And it's, you know, it's, and I'm losing what I was going to say, but a lot of it's about just, you know, cultivating a bigger picture, you know, of what's, of how, I don't know, for me, a, important parts of what I noticed is times that I made little mistakes. I might have taken the wrong grocery cart one time, you know, something like that. And, you know, the mind spaces out. You notice while you're meditating, you think you're going to sit down and just pay attention to your breath, but you don't, right? So we don't have that much control over where our attention is and what we do. And multiply that times 100 billion or however many people there are. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on that isn't always from ill will, you know. It's from different understandings of what's going on and who's doing what and what priorities are on top for people at the moment, you know. And the universe is so vast. I even got to the point of reflecting one time that I exist because of World War II, you know. My parents met at the USO dance, you know. And no one would go back and say World War II, Hitler was a good idea, you know. No, you know, but thanks to that, many of us probably exist, right? So the world is big and complicated. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's just, it's important to remember when you start thinking everybody should just do exactly what I, you know, how I see it. Yeah. I'm just going to add something Go to ahead, the please, to the last sharing. So, a lot of what we teach in this mindfulness course is so that uh, you can have your own insights over your experiences. And one of the big insights is um, the nature of clinging or tanha, and what you said is attachment. So, uh, a lot of if we notice where our suffering comes from, it tends to come from any kind of attachment. So it's not only to what we want or how we think the world should be or how everybody should be, or, um, but our ideas, our beliefs, our opinions. So it's not saying also just to let everything go, but it's as part of this exploration to see what can be let go of wisely. Um, where is there room? We, are dis we have discerning minds, so it's not also to say 
be a doormat and let everything be. That's it, not what we're saying. We're saying when we see what, what, what the clinging does, then if we can just take a different look without that much clinging, then we can see a lot more clearly what's actually happening. So that's where wisdom has a chance of coming in. So um, hopefully this practice unfolds in a very beautiful way for a lot of people. It might be very difficult in the beginning, which is why we offer these five or six week courses to offer support. It's hard to get started actually doing this. But a lot of this practice, and we, as I was listening to Chris, I noticed that we give a lot of examples of suffering <laughs> in the mind and in daily life. And we, we give very few examples of the sublime states that are really, actually really possible with this practice as well. Um, so hopefully you get to experience those on your own. Um, we give the examples of the difficult ones because that's where usually we get stuck. Um, but uh, sometimes we get as easily stuck in the, in the sublime stuff as well. So maybe we'll balance that out next time. <laughs> so yes, there was one more question. Yeah, when that gentleman up at the top row was talking about his disappointment and frustration with other people and not not reacting in a way that you know might not be the best way, um, I, I couldn't help but thinking about my experience uh, movie viewing at the Magic Johnson Theater in Harlem, and all these people screaming at the movie screen, and they were so passionate and don't go in there, he's gonna kill you, and no matter what they said they couldn't change what would happen in the movie. And I think that when I was listening to that gentleman, that's exactly what I was thinking of. And life is very much like that. You know, no matter how much you want people to behave in the way you think they should, um, it's probably not going to happen. So really, the only things we can change is ourselves. And perhaps the way that we, um, we respond to the situation rather than react to them. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's what we're saying, but also not, also neither extreme. The Buddha's is, is this middle way, you know. There's no point in taking on the belief I can have no effect on anything and I can never change anything. Which is why responding rather than reacting. It's not a movie really that's already in the can. It's a moment-to-moment dynamic life that we have input to every moment, you know. And are we inputting anger and hatred into it or are we inputting calm and, and, and empathy and compassion into it? And there, you know, those two ways of getting some behavior to change that might need to change have very different results, you know. And still, it's not up to you whether it actually works or not. But, you know, you will suffer less. They will suffer less. Statistically, it probably works more often. <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 it's not just... It, we do look at ourselves first, but I just don't want to leave you as, you know, Shinquan didn't either, with the impression that we need to conclude that we have no effect on the world. We have a great effect on the world by our state of mind and our state of heart. Really more than what we say sometimes. So thank you guys all for your questions. If there's any burning question you have at the end, then you can come forward to us, but I'm going to start closing because... I'm sure everybody's tired and want to get out of here at 9 o'clock. So um, one of the things that might be helpful to keep in mind, there are exercises on the handout that you can maybe reflect on uh, during the week and practice on how to deal with emotions, how to ride out emotions, should strong emotions come up, give you some practice working with them. And also not to be so discouraged if it's still difficult to even identify an emotion or know what emotion feels like in the body. Because we have a tendency... um, when we shut things out, there's been a lot of studies that say when we shut um, 
like negative or uncomfortable emotions or thoughts or feelings down. It just doesn't work for those things. It kind of has this broad impact that shuts us down in a lot of ways. So for all senses, feelings, emotions kind of get shut down a little. So we get a little bit less in touch with our emotions. So um, it's a way we work with this is to, if all this doesn't seem to make sense, then just stay with the breath. Gil stayed with the breath for eight months. <laughs> you know, we kind of fast forward through everything just so you get a flavor for. But there's a reason we start with the breath and then with the body. Um, for those of us who are kind of disembodied, we get more familiar with our bodies, experiences in our bodies, sensations in our bodies. As we go through our day, but even as we sit, we get a little bit closer to that experience of um, the mind and body coming together. And when that happens, then we have a little bit better chance to understand and feel our emotions, because a lot of that is in the body. So it's this kind of a little bit of a systematic way that gives us some practice, so that emotions become uh, more familiar and understandable to us. So it's this gradual process, so not to expect uh, this grand, in, grand insights all at once. So... So thank you all for your attention. Thank you, Chris. And I did want to introduce Jim over there, who's been sitting very quietly. <laughs> He'll be teaching the next two classes. So, um, so thank you all. <laughs>